Hi, everyone. Welcome back for another week of Sisters in Crime. I'm your co-host, Sarah, joined by Kate. Hi. And today I'm going to be telling you about a man known as the Scorecard Killer, the Southern California Strangler, and the Freeway Killer. He is believed to have killed a total of 67 male victims between the ages of 13 and 35. However, he was only charged and convicted of 16 of these homicides. Many of his victims were members of the U.S. Marine Corps, and most of their bodies were found to have high levels of both alcohol and tranquilizers. This is your Instagram poll voted story of Randy Kraft. Before we get started, I do just want to mention that this is a very graphic story, so listener discretion is advised. Randy Kraft was born on March 19, 1945, in Long Beach, California. He was the youngest of four children and the only boy. His mother and sisters adored him. His dad didn't pay too much attention to the kids, but I don't think it was looked at in a negative way. And this actually goes against a lot of what we have learned or assumed about serial killers. Almost every serial killer we have talked about has a childhood that usually involves some sort of abuse. And Randy mm. didn't have this experience. The only thing I found in my research, which I don't believe had any effect on his mental state, was that he was very accident prone. He broke his collarbone, which he was like one or two, and he fell off a couch. And then he was a little older and he fell down a flight of stairs. Hmm. Interesting. Randy was an extremely intelligent kid. In 1957, at the age of 12, he was judged intelligent enough to attend accelerated classes at the junior high school. Randy took an interest in politics and aspired to be a U.S. senator. He graduated 10th in his class of 390 and enrolled in Claremont Men's College to pursue a Bachelor of Arts degree in economics. He continued his political career into his college years, and we're going to get right into this criminal background. The first time Randy was ever arrested was in 1963 when he went to Huntington Beach, which he visited often in search of male prostitutes, and he ended oh. up <laughs> and he ended up making sexual advances on the wrong guy, an undercover cop. And he was arrested, but was let go since this was his first offense. By some sources, this marks the point where his life kind of takes a turn for the worst and starts going downhill. A year later, he started working in a gay bar and brought male friends, quote friends, home in an effort to kind of come out to his parents, but they never really got the hint. He changed his political views from Republican to Democrat. He said the only reason for his conservative views was to make his parents proud, which is interesting because they already adored him and thought the world of him. And usually you see this kind of behavior in kids that were often looked over and neglected, which he was not. And he campaigned so hard for John F. Kennedy that he received a personal thank you letter from the senator. Wow. So, like, why, like, did he really have, like, no history of his parents, like, being a, any type of, like, weird to him, like, kids making fun of him, anything like that? Not from my research. I mean, the only thing that I can think of was his dad. But, like, his dad didn't pay attention to the girls either. Yeah. I guess, honestly, I feel like neglect is almost worse than abuse. But, like, his mom and his sisters adored him. Like, they Spoken literally like made over child. him. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, yeah, he was literally praised. He was the baby and the only boy. And from my research, his mom and his sisters, like, worship the ground he walked on 
Okay, interesting. So, by his senior year, Randy got involved in drugs, drinking, all-night gambling, and poker sessions with other students. Because of this, he failed his last year and had to repeat a class causing a delay in graduation by eight months, but he eventually graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in Economics. And I actually read from one of my sources that he was suffering from stomach pain, which led to the start of the drugs and alcohol abuse. A couple months after graduating college, Randy decided that he wanted to join the U.S. Air Force. He passed the test with flying colors and started off as a supervisor for plane painting and eventually rose the ranks to airman, first class, and supervisor manager. So it's safe to say that Randy really cared about his career path. In the same year, he came out of the closet to his parents and they ultimately accepted his orientation, but Randy began to distance himself after he announced this. So I'm not re- like, that's all I really found. and mm-hmm. didn't really have like a reason why. Roughly a year later, in July of 1969, Randy received a general discharge from the Air Force after announcing his sexual orientation to his superiors. The discharge was officially listed as being on, quote, medical grounds. And in response to this, Randy sought legal advice from an attorney in an attempt to challenge the grounds regarding his discharge. However, the Air Force refused to change the status, and Randy moved back in with his parents and worked as a bartender and a forklift operator. So now we are getting into Randy's more heinous crimes. His first known sexual assault was in March of 1970 when he came upon a 13-year-old runaway at Huntington Beach. Yes, 13 years old. The boy's name was Joseph Fancher and told Randy that he had run away from home. Randy, being the nice guy he is, told Joe that he could stay with him at his apartment. Once they got back to the apartment, Joe was drugged and sexually assaulted. Hours later, Joe was able to escape the apartment when Randy went to work Neighbors saw Joe in distress and called an ambulance where he was taken to a hospital and had his stomach pumped. Joe didn't tell authorities or his parents that he was sexually assaulted, just that he had been drugged. However, Joe did confess to the police that the pills that he was offered, he took voluntarily and no charges were ever filed. So, Randy isn't really your run-of-the-mill common serial killer. He likes to educate and better himself while he is committing these disgusting acts of violence. About a year after his first known sexual assault, Randy decided to further his career prospects and enroll at Long Beach State University where he majored in education. He, of course, began a relationship with a teaching student from Minnesota named Jeff Graves, who was four years younger than him. And in fact, I noticed he kept relationships while he was killing. Hmm. That's interesting. Now, let's get into the killings. Randy killed between 1971 and 1983, so that's 12 years. He was known to offer his victims a lift or alcohol, and once he had gotten his victims into his vehicle, they would usually be offered more alcohol and or drugs. Once the victims were unconscious enough, Randy would bind, torture, and sexually abuse them before he killed them, which was usually by strangulation, asphyxiation, or bludgeoning. It was discovered that some victims had ingested lethal doses of pharmaceuticals and at least one victim was stabbed to death. Randy would then discard the bodies alongside or close to various freeways in Southern California. And if this isn't graphic enough, I'm going to talk about some of the ways he tortured his victims. So if you don't want to listen to this part, go ahead and skip 15 to 30 seconds ahead. Randy would torture his victims by burning them with a car cigarette lighter, which was usually around the genitals, chest, and face, and several men were found with extensive blunt force trauma to the face and head. 
In a couple instances, foreign objects were found inserted into the victim's rectums, while other victims had suffered emasculation or mutilation and dismemberment. Wow. His first suspected murder victim was a 30-year-old Long Beach resident named Wayne Duquette, whose body was found on October 5, 1971. He was discarded close to the Ortega Highway, and Wayne was a bartender at a gay bar named The Stable in nearby Sunset Beach and was last seen alive on September 20, 1971. Wayne's initial cause of death was acute alcohol poisoning due to the high blood alcohol level, and it was hard to determine any foul play on the body because of putrefaction. The reason Wayne is suspected as Randy's first kill is because he mentions this name stable in his journal that he referred to as his, quote, scorecard. And we will get into that journal a little later. The next victim was 15 months after Wayne, a 20-year-old Marine named Edward Moore. He was last seen leaving the barracks at Camp Pendleton on December 24, 1972. His body was later found beside the 405 freeway in Seal Beach during the early hours of December 26th. Abrasions were found on Ed's body, indicating he had been pushed from a moving vehicle. His autopsy revealed he had been bound at the wrist and ankles, beaten with a blunt instrument to the face before being garroted. Do you know what that means, Kate? No. So, you take something that can go around the neck, string, fishing line, a shoelace, Anything that you can get your hands on mm-hmm. and you tie it around them and then you take a stick and essentially use the stick or some kind of like long piece of wood or whatever to tighten the string around the person's neck and ultimately to like really strangle them. Oh, dang. There were also numerous bite marks and a sock had been forced into his rectum. That's interesting. And we'll see that a lot. He actually does that a lot with his victims. And I actually kept a lot of victims out that had that. I mean, he really was nasty with his (laughs) victims. So is this just because, like, I don't know. I don't understand it. I mean, I will say, like, his... His mom was definitely more welcoming than his dad when he first came out. But from my research, like, they all came around to it. It's not like his dad was like, well, I'm never talking to you again. Hmm. So, I mean, this is the 70s. And that was very frowned upon. So did he just, like, hate himself? I don't know. I don't know. Like, he did not have that background as a childhood. So I'm, it's very interesting. Six weeks later... So this is February 6, 1973. Another male body is found alongside the Terminal Island Freeway in Wilmington, California. It's estimated the man was between 17 and 25 years old. He had been strangled with a ligature and, just like Ed, had a sock inserted in his rectum. Two months later, on April 14th, Kevin Bailey's body was found beside a road in Huntington Beach. Kevin was 17 and had been emasculated and sodomized prior to his murder. Ronnie Weeb was a 20-year-old whose luck ran out when his strangled body was found beside an on-ramp on the 405 freeway on July 30th. There were welt marks on Ronnie's wrist indicating he was bound and suspended from a device before his murder. By the end of 1974, five more victims had been found beside or close to major roadways. A 17-year-old high school student by the name of John Laris was found discarded at Sunset Beach. 
Drag marks along the beach were found close to John's body and had suggested that two individuals had carried his body into the water. Two weeks later, another body was found. So by this time, which is January 1975, 14 victims have been linked to this one killer who has the same MO when killing and discarding their victims. By now, an FBI profile of the killer has been formed and read to investigators across several jurisdictions in Southern California. The profile described this individual as a methodical, organized lust killer of above-average intelligence who exhibited an indifference to the, quote, interest and welfare of society. On March 29, 1975, Randy gets sloppy. He decides to abduct these two young guys, Keith Crotwell and Kent May. He picked them up in a parking lot in his distinctive black and white Mustang. He gave them Valium and beer and drove in a random, aimless manner from what Kent recalled before passing out. Randy ended up throwing Kent out of the car in the same parking lot where he was picked up from. When Randy did this, he didn't realize or didn't care that the boy's friends were still in that parking lot and witnessed this happening. They also noticed that Keith was still in the car, slumped over on Randy's shoulder as he drove away. On May 8th, Keith's skull was found on a jetty close to the Long Beach Marina. The rest of his body was found six months later. Once the friends from that night heard the news of the murder, they actually found the car from that same night, wrote down the license plate, and gave it to the police. Long Beach police officers called Randy in for questioning about Keith's abduction and his murder. At first, Randy denied ever meeting either Keith or Kent. He finally admitted that on or around March 29th, he had encountered two young guys in the Long Beach parking lot and had pursued them to drink and consume drugs with him as he drove around. Randy then stated that he did in fact return Kent to the parking lot while Keith stayed in the car. Randy mentioned his car became stuck on an embankment on the side of the road where he walked alone to a gas station to call a tow truck and when he returned, Keith wasn't in the car anymore. His roommate confirmed this story by saying Randy did in fact call him on the day of Keith's disappearance, claiming his vehicle was stuck on the embankment. Detectives remained unconvinced by his version of events, and two detectives actually filed homicide charges against Randy a week later. But the L.A. District Attorney's Office declined it, citing the coroner's conclusion from his autopsy of the remains. Let's remember at this point we only had the skull to perform an autopsy on, okay? <laughs> So the coroner said, indicated that Keith had died of accidental drowning. And then somehow, I guess, his head just popped off. <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> accidental, accidental drowning where your skull is just left to be the, the only thing is a little sus. Right. So it suggested that with all this heat, Randy didn't kill again until December 31st of that year, which is 1975, and is known as the worst victim to have been found. The victim was 22-year-old Mark Hall, who was driven to a remote canyon where he was bound to a tree. The autopsy report listed the cause of death as asphyxiation caused by leaves and earth found lodged deep in Mark's trachea. Wow. The autopsy also revealed Mark had been sodomized and emasculated with his severed genitals, then inserted into his rectum. Oh, my his chest, scrotum, nose, and cheeks had been burned with a cigarette lighter, which was also used to destroy his eyes. <gasps> wow. The report also listed numerous incisions on Mark's legs, which had been inflicted with a broken bottle. Forensic experts were able to determine that Mark had been alive throughout <gasps> most of the torturing. Yeah. Oh, no. That yeah. is brutal. Yeah. Yeah. 
that I just I I can't help but like keep saying yeah, but yeah, <laughs> it's That's I crazy. it's terrible, terrible. So let's remember that throughout all this time, Brandy has been dating and has had a serious relationship like this whole time (laughs) and it wasn't until Mm -hmm. 1976 that he ended this relationship and began another one with a 19 year old baker named jeff sealing and these people didn't have a clue no like i was just gonna say proves that you don't know right you don't know anyone This this is why i have trust issues people same so, actually, Jeff missions to investigators later that Randy was never violent with him and had never, and he had never seen Randy display any type of violent tendencies. That's the scariest part. Right. And it's believed that Randy took a little sabbatical from killing while he was with Jeff. Investigators knew they had more than one murderer at large when they arrested Patrick Kearney, who confessed to the murders of 28 boys and young men. They knew they had two different killers because the victims uh, killed differently. Patrick's MO was to shoot his victims and then dismember them and throw them like off roads and cliffs and trash bags. And Randy preferred to torture and strangle his victims. It wasn't until April 16, 1978 that Randy decided to pick up his little hobby again. He abducted an 18-year-old Marine named Scott Hughes. He piled him with Valium before Randy split open his scrotum and removed one of his testicles, then strangled him to death with a ligature before discarding his fully clothed body beside an on-ramp in Anaheim. There were a couple other murders that happened in 1978, and they're just as horrible and gruesome as the previous victims I mentioned. I just didn't want to get into it because it was it's just really bad yeah and i'm surprised i've actually really never heard of this guy before yeah he was honestly i looked up worst serial killers in history and his name came up that is so interesting he has no like i know nothing in his childhood or I know. anything <laughs> he's just a bad egg some people are just born bad i swear yeah i agree In 1980, Randy had to travel to Oregon for a business trip, and as we know, he can't help himself and will kill here too. It's believed he killed two victims near Portland because both were listed on his, quote, scorecard, with cryptic references including the word Portland. Randy also made business trips to Grand Rapids, Michigan, where he also decided to kill, and eventually these murders were linked back to him as well. Randy's murder spree finally comes to an end at 1.10 a.m. on the morning of May 14, 1983, when he was driving intoxicated on Interstate 5 in Orange County. Two highway police officers noticed Randy's Toyota Celica driving erratically and pulled the car over. Randy immediately got out of the car, throwing a beer bottle on the pavement and his pants undone. The second officer approached the Toyota and noticed the man slumped over in the passenger seat with a jacket over him. The officer had no luck in trying to wake him and noticed he had a low body temperature. The man in the front seat was 25-year-old Marine Terry Gambrel, who was in fact dead due to strangulation. Randy was arrested and initially charged with driving under the influence, and he was held in custody as detectives conducted a thorough search of his Toyota. During the investigation, detectives found incriminating evidence in the back of Randy's car, including alcohol, tranquilizers, various prescription drugs, and stimulants. 
They found a ton of blood on the passenger carpet, even though there were no open wounds on Terry. When the investigators tore up the carpet, they found an envelope containing more than 50 photographs of young men in pornographic poses. Wow. A ring binder containing a handwritten list of 61 coded notations was found in the trunk. This was enough evidence to get a search warrant for Randy's home where they had found clothes and personal possessions of numerous young men who had been murdered over the previous decades. Fibers taken from a rug matched those found on victim Scott Hughes and a roll of film that was discovered contained shots of victims Eric Church and Roger Duvall in Randy's car. So the 50 like photographs, do they think those are all victims or do they know how many victims? So it's assumed that like, I think 63, uh, but they were only able to charge him with 16, 67, a total of 67. Uh, But they were only like able to actually charge him with 16, like definitive with actual evidence. Dang. So let's go back to that binder of the codes found in Randy's trunk. That was apparently his quote scorecard. It was a coded list of 61 neatly printed terms and phrases that refers to each of Randy's victims. Several entries clearly references victims' names or initials of the victims. The codes also refer to torture or mutilation Randy used on his victims or the last place they were seen or where Randy had disposed of them. So, on May 16, 1983, Randy was formally charged with the murder of Terry Gambrell. By September 8th, Investigators had interviewed over 700 witnesses and gathered more than 250 physical exhibits, which pointed towards Randy's guilt and 15 other homicides. Wow. 700 witnesses? Yeah. He was then charged with these 15 murders in addition to two counts of sodomy and one of emasculation. That's it. Randy was tried in Orange County on September 26, 1988. Almost 160 witnesses were called to testify, and over 1,000 exhibits were introduced as evidence, which included most of the evidence found in Randy's car and home. His attorney dismissed much of the evidence as circumstantial and attempted to portray Randy as an articulate, hardworking, and upstanding member of the community gag (laughs) he argued that the 16 victims were quote of someone but not randy craft and they and they actually tried to accuse patrick kearney the guy who admitted to killing 26 other boys and young men who had a completely different mo than randy they like tried to blame it all on that guy (laughs) okay the trial lasted 13 months and was the most expensive trial in orange county history holy crap the jury deliberated for a total of 11 days before reaching a verdict and on may 12 1989 randy was found guilty of 16 counts of murder one count of sodomy and one count of emasculation on june 5 1989 the same jury reconvened to hear further testimony from the prosecution and defense as to the penalty of randy this phase of randy's trial lasted until august the prosecution introduced new evidence of several additional homicides committed in both oregon and michigan the defense of course dismissed the prosecution's allegations as being quote highly speculative 
The defense then introduced testimony relating to a PET scan, which revealed abnormalities in the frontal lobes of Randy's brain, which they said reduced his ability to control both emotions and impulse. The prosecution basically said that this is total BS and flat out said, quote, he likes killing for sexual satisfaction. (laughs) On August 11th, 1989, the jury rendered a verdict of death. Three months later, Judge McCartan formally sentenced Randy to death, and Randy remains on death row at San Quentin State Prison, and he continues to deny responsibility for any of the homicides for which he was either convicted of or suspected of. And that is the story of Randy Kraft. So he's still alive? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Old as hell, but yeah. So, like, are there any theories against him? Like, does anybody really think it wasn't him? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, in any of my research, I I mean, they, there's so much evidence. I just told you how much evidence they had against him. Like, and the fact that the jury deliberated for a total of 11 days just, like, baffles me. Because it's like, how do you not find that he's guilty in, like, a matter of seconds? Right, like there was stuff in his car. That, yeah, there was seven hundred witnesses. <laughs> I was just curious if any, like, if anyone had any, like, yeah. And the trial theories. lasted thirteen months. That's the thing. <laughs> so when you heard a part of a thirteen-month trial, how do you, I? It just surprised me that they took that eleven long. days. Yeah. yeah, but I wasn't there, so maybe the defense actually made a solid case that he wasn't it's just interesting to me because i had never really heard of him either and i actually put this out on a poll and you guys chose randy Kraft, and i didn't realize he was this sick me neither it's just crazy he literally has no emotion obviously no and there were a lot of victims and a lot of details that i kept out because i'm just like i'm already giving these people a a lot (laughs) Mm mm-hmm it just was, it was disturbing. Reading about this man was very disturbing. Yeah. Because again, like, there's no um, mental abuse. Right. But there is something going on in good old there, Randy's brain. Right. There's something going on. Just obviously nothing that can be te- detected on a PET scan. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true or not that he had like abnormalities in his frontal lobe. I mean, that makes sense because that is like where all your. Yeah. Like, but then again, the prosecution. I think uh, that's something that, like, you actually, like, it's not fully developed until you're like mid 20s. So maybe just his didn't develop or something, right? Maybe. I, I don't know. He's messed up for sure. For sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. And honestly, like, yeah, he was sentenced to death, but I'm. Glad he hasn't been executed because I feel like that's too he, easy he, sometimes. Yeah, like he needs to think about what he has done. Mm-hmm. And he's had plenty of time to do that. Well, this is your Thanksgiving episode. Happy Thanksgiving, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.